There's one thing that we really shouldn't argue about as followers of Jesus Christ, and that is that we are called to love one another. Jesus made it abundantly clear when he said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. In other words, what was going to be the identifying mark? What was going to be the thing that that set Jesus' disciples apart from anybody else on the street? It's how we loved one another. And so most of us wouldn't argue about that. But our love doesn't stop at the doors of this building. You know, if someone doesn't self-identify as a Christian, you know, saying, okay, we ought to love them. If they are blatantly not Christian, are we supposed to love them anyway? And the answer obviously is yes. When Jesus was uh, discussing and giving the answer about what the greatest commandment was, he said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then some smart aleck in the crowd said, well, who's my neighbor? What were they asking? Basically, they were asking this. Where, where is the line drawn? I mean, yeah, I'm supposed to love people, but are there some people that I don't get to love? What? Some of you may have thought about that same question. Do I really have to love that person? And so in, in answering the question, Jesus told a story. And it's a story that most of us know very, very well. It's a parable of the story of the Good Samaritan. And basically the point of that story is that your neighbor is whoever has a need. That's your neighbor. And guess what? All of us have a need. And so as we, we take a look at loving people, we recognize that loving neighbors yourself doesn't mean just loving our fellow church members, loving other people who identify as Christians. It means loving everyone. Now, most of us would go, okay, well, that's pretty elementary, Pastor. Uh, That's kind of a no-brainer. I I knew that when I came in the door that we're supposed to love everybody. Uh, Is this the point where we, you know, pray and go home? And, And the answer is no, you don't get off that easy. You see, our struggle is not whether we should love people. Our struggle typically is how we love other people. What does that look like? Because there are lots of definitions of love out there. There are, lot, there are lots of people who tell you what love is. You, you, you can go to uh, any store selling greeting cards. Find those ones, a little romantic section, and, and you get all kinds of understanding of what love is. You can, you can head out to the, to the movies, or you can turn on the, the Hallmark station on television, and, and you can find out all kinds of definitions of what love is. So it, it's not... The problem is not that we're to love other people. It's, it's how do we love other people. And, and when it comes to Christians, we usually take one of two extremes. We're on one side or the other of the equation. The first side of that equation is that we are abundantly over-the-top gracious with people. And by that, I mean that we, we cut people a lot of slack. We overlook a lot of their mistakes, sins, we try not to be condemning, try not to be judgmental, we, we want to be really, really careful about that, and we want to assure them that they're loved and forgiven. That's the super gracious end, that, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is the, they, those people who are guardians of the truth. And by guardians of truth, I mean that they are, they're constantly pointing out other people's sin. They're, they're recognizing sin in other people pretty abundantly, pretty apparently. 
they are quoting relevant scriptures. They, they know those scriptures that come down pretty hard on those people. And they, they make sure that they hold people accountable, but it's for their good. Now, those are the two ends of the spectrum, okay? And those are exaggerated, but come on, folks. We know people on both ends of that spectrum, don't we? If we don't know them personally, we certainly have heard of them. Um, the, the group that calls themselves Westboro Baptist Church, who are out holding the signs, uh, they think, you know what, I'm a big truth person. I'm out here with my sign proclaiming the truth. But you don't see a lot of love. You don't see a lot of grace. You don't see a lot of mercy. But if you ask them, they'd probably tell you, yes, this is the loving thing to do is to get out in front of people and hit them over the head with this sign that says truth. On the other side, you've got those who are on the grace side. And and, and there's, gosh, you you and I both know that I love grace, saved by grace. I live in grace I sing of grace. Uh, grace is a theme of my life. And yet there are people who, who move so far to that side that they remove truth from it. So anything goes because I don't want to be condemning. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to put people out. I, I don't want to make people feel like they're being judged or condemned. And so I just, you know, I'm just not going to bring that up. There are people on both ends of that spectrum. Well, what does the Bible say? That's why I'd like us to camp for a few minutes this morning. I actually want to call your attention to a, just one little passage in, in John's Gospel. It's in the first chapter. John chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 14. Now, I will tell you, there's a lot that's packed in to this one little verse. But this morning, let's consider what God might be saying to us as the people of God as we think about grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14, this is what we read. The Word, that is Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. You remember the chapter begins, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, when we look at this, we can look and we can see the incarnation of Jesus, that God came to us in the flesh. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. We see the glory of Jesus, that is, even though he was fully man, he was also fully God, and the glory of God was contained in this man, Jesus. But where I'd like us to put our attention this morning is on that last little phrase that he came from the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. The word full means exactly what you think it means, filled to the brim, full. And Jesus came full of grace and truth. What does that mean? That means that Jesus didn't sometimes camp over here on the truth side and other times camp over here on the grace side. It didn't mean that Jesus tried to balance the two to make sure that he always had 50% truth and 50% grace. No, he was full of both grace and truth. He was filled to the brim both with grace and with truth. So what is grace and what is truth? 
That would be important for us to understand if we are to imitate Jesus in our lives, that means we're to be people of grace and truth. So wouldn't it be great to understand what the word grace and what the word truth means? Okay, the word grace, if you take it all the way back kind of well, to its, its origin, its beginning meaning, it, it's, grace means that which causes joy, like an unexpected gift. Friday was my birthday. We went to Macon to have a nice steak dinner and celebrate a little bit because it was my birthday. So Nancy and I go driving down there. Well, it wasn't long before the door opens up and in walks Jay and his girlfriend, Lacey. And then in a few more minutes, the door opens up and in walks Jackie. I had no idea they were coming. They were an unexpected gift that brought joy. Oh, think about grace that way. As an unexpected, undeserved, unearned gift that brings abundant joy. That's what grace is. It is undeserved favor, an undeserved gift. When we think of grace, someone has described grace as grace as being the generosity of love or love giving itself. In other words, love and the gift that comes out of love cannot be separated. We see that, don't we, in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Hey, listen, God had already announced the gift was coming, but it was completely unexpected. And it brought joy. It brought joy to the shepherds. Brought joy to all those who came and saw it because they saw it as the fulfillment of the promise, undeserved, unearned, and yet here God has given us this great gift. God so loved that he gave. God's response to sinful humanity was not to crush them under his heel, but to love them and to show his love by sending his son who would pay the ultimate price dying on a cross so that you and I might have life. There is no better picture of grace, no truer picture of love that you will ever find. And that is why in Christian churches all over the world, they display the cross. They display it not because, oh, we need something in here, fill that space, They display it because it is our constant reminder of God's love and God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. So that's grace. But but what is truth? Well, truth has the literal meaning of nothing being hidden. It is reality revealed, which actually helps us to understand what Jesus said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. What was he saying? He's saying, I am reality revealed. You, You thought you knew what was real. You thought you knew what was true, but I'm here. I am God's reality being revealed to you. When you see me, you see truth in its purest, highest form. I am reality revealed. And so, now, throughout, obviously, we we go throughout the pages of this this book called the Bible, and we find truth. 
Jesus is God's ultimate self-revelation, okay? But God also gave us a lot of other truth. And the reason he gave us that truth is so that we would have some understanding of what his will is for our lives. So that we wouldn't just kind of be drifting along, but we'd have a, a plumb line. Some, some of you are familiar with plumb lines. It's basically it's a weighted string. And, and because of gravity, which is really a cool thing, because we'll be discussing that, by the way, in our, our, uh, our kids' week this week. But because of gravity, it's always going to pull it straight down. And why is that important? Because if you were building a wall, unless you're in the Dominican Republic, if you're building a wall, you'd like that to be straight. And so you want something that's going to help you get that wall perfectly straight. And so you drop that line. And what that will tell you is it will let you know whether that wall is lined up straight or whether that wall is leaning slightly. You may don't do this in some of your homes because it'll drive you crazy. You think your walls are straight. You go drop the line down and, and then you just go nuts over it. So don't worry about that. But that's what the point is. And that's what God's truth is for. It drops down into our lives to help us to see whether we are inside or outside of the will of God. In other words, we don't have to guess. God's made that abundantly clear to us by dropping that line of truth for us. God's truth becomes an anchor for us to keep us from drifting off into errors here and and errors there. Now, Jesus came full of both grace and truth. And we as his followers are supposed to reflect Jesus in this world. And so our lives should be, they won't be perfectly that way, but our lives should be full of grace and truth. We can't afford to say, you know what, I'm just going to focus on one and I'm going to ignore the other. Let me just hang out in the grace place over here and leave truth out. Or let me hang out in the truth place and, and leave grace out. No, no, we are not to do that. That's not what God's calling us to do in this passage, certainly, and it's certainly not what Jesus did. We can't afford to be one or the other. If we take our stand on grace and neglect truth, then what we end up being is is loving and kind, but kind of wishy-washy. Well, you know, whatever's true for you is true for you, and and we won't, you know, we're not going to, uh, let's, not, let's not get all into this truthy stuff. It'll make us feel uncomfortable. If you get into the truth without grace camp, then you become legalistic and, and harsh and, and sometimes even self-righteous. How do these two tie together then? Because they seem to be separate. Well, let me tell you a story that, that Jesus told that I think will help us or that Jesus, Jesus went through that I think will help us to understand grace and truth as they fit together a little better. Uh, it's, it's in John chapter 8, and it'll be up here on the screen, and you can write it down if you want to go back and, and look at this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. It's not a rumor. It's not innuendo. She was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus, but Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. 
And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go, go now and leave your life of sin. Did you see this? I do not condemn you. Grace. Go and leave your life of sin. Truth. Same sentence. Grace and truth. Jesus did not say, what is up with those guys? I mean, come, listen, dear, you're doing the very best that you can. We all understand life is hard and sometimes you don't make good decisions and, and nobody's perfect. So just, just try to be a little more careful next time not to get caught. No. He told her that her lifestyle was sinful. That the choices that she was making, the way that she was living, was outside the will of God. And so he says, repent. Repent. Turn away from that. Walk away from your sin and don't come back. Jesus was proclaiming truth. You are in sin. Repent. Turn. He also didn't jump on her case and say, what in the world is wrong with you? Adultery? Really? Are you kidding me? Didn't your mom and daddy teach you any better than that? No. He told her, I don't condemn you either. He expressed genuine grace and mercy and love in the middle of a mob filled with anger and disdain. He showed her grace. He gave her the gift of a second chance. He gave her the gift of a new beginning. Jesus was full of both grace and truth. It's a beautiful picture. Right there in that one sentence, we see it encapsulated. So grace or truth is not an option for us. If you're a grace person to the exclusion of truth, then you're all about being loving and and being loved. If you're a truth person to the exclusion of grace, you're all about being right and hanging around with people who are also right. Grace people to the exclusion of truth are all about 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Or Matthew 11, 28. Come to me all who are weary and, and burdened down and I'll give you rest. People who own the truth in to the exclusion of grace are all about 1 Samuel 15, 22. To obey is better to sacrifice. And John 8, 32, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus' people would shout amen to all of it. Because it's all true. It's all for us. It's all what God is trying to communicate about being people of grace and people of truth. When I 
was, was studying this, Andy Stanley had a, a remark about this grace and truth coming together and the fullness of the two coming together. And he, he called it a glorious mess. And that's what it is. If we really choose to be people of grace and truth, it will be a glorious mess. Why? Well, because it means that even though we don't compromise the truth, we still love people. We still love people. Even when they're wrong, (laughs) we still love them. And some people are scared that if I really show love and, and grace to people who are in the wrong, that somehow that's endorsing their sin, that's putting a, a stamp of approval on it, and it's not. In no way is it. You can, you can love, I mean, parents, you do this to your children all the time, and, and true, you, we may not do it perfectly, but there are times when you have to correct your children, but the, your motivation is always love. And as we look out into the world and we recognize that there are people that are living, I mean, if you held the, God's plumb line up to their lives, man, they'd be leaning in a 45-degree angle. They're way out of it. But we love them. We're gracious to them. We even offer forgiveness, restoration, a new beginning. It's a glorious mess because our response may not always be considered fair. In other words, we've got to look at every, I mean, you've got policies and everything, but I can promise you this. When it comes to issues, for instance, in benevolence, yeah, we've got policies and we look at those policies, but we also look at the person. And we look at the circumstances because not everybody's situation is the same. Not everybody's struggles are the same. And therefore, the the challenges that they have, we have to look in and and we have to prayerfully go to God and say, God, if we're going to make a mistake here, let us make a truth on the side of grace. Let us make a, if we're going to err here, let us err on the side of love on this one. But at the same time, we need to let people know, one of the reasons you're in this situation is because of the decisions you've made that are out of kilter with God's will for your life. There's grace and there's truth. It's a glorious mess because sometimes the stances that we take are not always going to be understood by people in either camp. There'll be people who say, oh, you needed a, you needed to lay the lumber on that one. You, I mean, you really needed to come down hard on them. Then there'll be people that say, oh, just cut them a little more slack. Give them a little more room. They're, they're, it's okay. They're getting better. We live, we live in this tension. We live between grace and truth, wanting to elevate both, not lower either one. And it's not easy. It's not easy as a church, and and I got to tell you, it's not easy for you either. We are in the midst of a cultural upheaval. And we need to be really, really careful and prayerful about the stances that we take, whether they be verbally whether they be on Facebook or Twitter or wherever we take these stances. And we need to ask ourselves, does what I say reflect grace and truth? 
Sometimes we get hit so hard with, with, a, with a lifestyle choice or with something that's happened that's so far out of bounds that we look at it and we go, how in the world could this have possibly happened in the United States of America? And then we, we go on some rant. If someone were standing off to the side, let's say Jesus. Would we sound a lot like a Pharisee? Will we, will we sound like those people that he called snakes, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs? Of course, on the other side of the equation, would Jesus look at our lives and say, you don't stand for much, do you? What do you stand on? I I, I can't identify it. Is truth important to you? Is it an anchor in your life? Is it something that guides your decisions? Because from what you're saying, you know, just throwing the doors open, love everybody and, you know, just treat everybody the same and everybody's good. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. They're okay. You know, is that, is that okay? Jesus came full of grace and truth. He calls us to be people who are full of grace and truth. And, and when, we get, when we get challenged on it, then we tend to want to retreat into one camp or the other. But I want to tell you right now, live with the tension. Live with it. Embrace the tension. It'll drive... If you go... If you go hard to one side or the other... And, and when I'm saying one side or the other, I'm not saying grace as opposed to truth. I'm not saying that. I'm saying grace without truth or truth without grace. Okay? If you go hard to one side or the other, it's really easy to make your decisions. I told you we were trying to do church the hard way. Mm. I'm, a, I'm inviting you to live the Christian life the hard way too. By embracing both grace and truth in your life as you respond to this world, as you respond to your family, as you respond to your community because Jesus was filled with grace and truth. On the one hand, he's off having dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes. (laughs) Okay, let me ask you a question. I'm your pastor. Most of you have known me, some for, for 15 years or more. Okay? If you got word that I had gone to have dinner at Hugh Hefner's house, what would you think? (laughs) I better pack my bags, right? I'm out on the next bus. Think about it. Of course, I'd take them all Grace Fellowship t-shirts to wear over those bikinis, but, you know. Think about it. What, What would you think of me? Or what would I think of you? Jesus went off and dined with tax collectors and, and prostitutes and all kinds of sinners. And boy, did the religious folks get mad at him. What was he doing? He was an unexpected gift from God in an undeserved place. He was showing grace. Now, on the other side of that equation, he went into the temple 
and he flipped over the tables of the money changers. He had a whip that he had made himself, and he went out and started, was driving the money changers out of the temple. And you go, is that the same guy? On the one hand, he's over here having dinner with, with all these folks, and, and then on this hand, he's, he's, he's angry, and he's driving money changers out. What is going on? Well, he was full of grace, and he was full of truth. What else did he do in his life? Well, we got this example right here we just read. On the one hand, he's forgiving a woman caught in adultery. On the other hand, he's turning to her, saying, you're sinning. Leave that life. Walk away from that life. He went to Samaria. He sat down beside a well and began to talk with a Samaritan woman. She had a lot of problems. First of all, she was Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritan. Secondly, she was a woman, which meant guys weren't supposed to talk to her. She was kind of a second-class citizen and, and really not much higher than property. And the third thing is, and Jesus knew this, although she didn't know he knew it, she's been sleeping around a lot. She had a pretty bad reputation. Here goes Jesus goes sitting down talking with her by well. Disciples came back, and they liked to have a fit. Because they knew. But at that moment, Jesus was showing grace. And yet, as he talked to the woman, face to face, he told her everything that she'd done. In other words, he didn't hold back. He said, I know your life. I know your life. I know what you've done. Okay, you've got these two tensions. And Jesus was criticized from both camps because of where he stood. Because he was not willing to compromise grace for the sake of truth or truth for the sake of grace. He was full of both. The world had a hard time finding a category to put Jesus in. And he was fine with that. When the world has a hard time to find a category to put you in, are you good with that? How does this work? Well, let, let me give you a couple of examples real quick. In the church, how does this work when we're dealing with the people of God? In Ephesians chapter 4, we read this. Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Truth. You've been called. Here's a standard for you to live. And then he goes on to say, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Do you know what bearing with one another in love means? Put up with each other. Put up with each other. That's one of the greatest lessons. That's one of the greatest lessons that we can learn about being a part of a church. We're not all the same. We're not on the same place in our spiritual journey. We don't all have the same views about life and politics and all those things. But you know what? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, bear with one another out of love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. All that's about grace, isn't it? Be gracious, be loving, be merciful, be kind to each other. But then he goes on to say, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what's he saying here? Be gracious, loving, kind to each other, but hold to the truth. 
There's one Lord, one faith. One, there's not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? Grace and truth. What about in the world? When we respond to the world? Well, Peter helps us out there. He says in 1 Peter 3, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That's truth. Always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's truth. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Do it with gentleness and respect. There's grace. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. But do it with gentleness and respect. You know, at the end of each Billy Graham crusade, I've been to a few. I've seen quite a few on television, as some of you have. He did... The same song at the end of each crusade as he invited people to respond. You all know what that song was? Just as I am. I want to share with you just a couple of verses from that song. I want you to listen to both grace and truth as they bubble up in these words. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am poor, wretched, blind, sight riches healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come. That's grace. And that's truth. God has flung wide open the door to heaven. And issued an invitation for all who will to come. And yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. When you see a cross, whether it's here or hanging around someone's neck, or maybe it's just a reflection from your window, from the styles in your your window, just the glass shining down. Whenever you see a cross, it is a reminder to us of grace and truth meeting because that's where they meet. They meet at the cross. God's truth is this. No one with sins entering into my heaven, but I've made a way, and that way is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He is the only way that we come to the Father. And yet we don't get there by earning it. It's not, hey, the first ten people who call in get to go to heaven. No. When you get to heaven, you know what? That, that little game out there that they've set up where you count the little things and write down the number. It, can you imagine you get to heaven and Jesus says, okay, I've got a jar of pennies. And if you can tell me how many pennies are in this jar, you can get into heaven. No. That's not how it works. What does the Bible tell us? But all who believe in him are saved. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. And yet God gives it to us. We find the ultimate of grace and truth revealed in Jesus himself. And we, his people, are called to live modeling that. Full of grace and truth. We don't want to abandon truth in order to preach grace. We don't want to abandon grace in order to proclaim truth. Our desire is that the world see Jesus 
when they see us. And if they're going to see Jesus, then they need to see a people filled with grace and truth. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that uh, you make it easy for us to be your children, easy and easy for us to believe, to accept, to trust in you. Lord, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. You give it to us. And yet, Lord, living the Christian life is such a challenge. Lord, there are times when we want to be big truth people and we just want to walk around with a 20-pound King James and batter people over the head with it. And there are other times, God, when we want to be people of grace where we just go, oh, let's just overlook that. It's maybe not so bad. God, we ask that you would make us people after Jesus' heart that we would be full of both grace and truth, and that we would become ever more full of it. Father, that when people look at us, they see people who have a firm place to stand and a strong truth in which they believe. But they will also be pe- see people who are forgiving because they are forgiven, who are loving because they are loved who are giving because they've been given so much Lord we realize there's tension in that we'd rather just have a list of do this don't do that but what you call us to be is real believers in a real world dealing with real people with real problems who really really need you And so, Lord, teach us. We are disciples. We are those who follow and learn from Jesus. Let us be people of grace and truth. Father, this morning, if you've laid it on the heart of any that they need to receive your Son as Savior, then as we sing our final song this morning, Lord, would you just draw them forward? Just pull them forward and say, this is the day to take your stand. This is the day to identify yourself with the Jesus who loves you so much. Lord, if there are those, you've laid it on their hearts, that this is the place they belong. Lord, there are lots of other great churches, but you've said, Grace Fellowship's where I want them to be. Then, then God, would you bring them? And if there are those, Lord, who simply need to come and to kneel down before you, whether it's to lay down burdens, whether it's to ask forgiveness, whether it's to find comfort or whether it's to ask for strength. God, whatever it is, we want to use this time as a sacred moment to do what you call us to do. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.